You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your countdown rotation, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, AJ Andrews of JaysFromTheCouch.com, and we've gotten here. This is the last episode of 2020, and the number one person on the list of the most important Blue Jays of 2020. And by this point, I know I've been playing coy on the descriptions that, you know, I give the editing team, and I... I think y'all know who the number one person is at this point. But, you know, I gotta drag this out a little bit, right? I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. Just just kind of kind ham and haw and stall a little bit before officially proclaiming y'all right or letting y'all proclaim me wrong, depending on how you feel about this list. So... I don't know. I think that's enough stalling. Stalling's not cool. So, let's just get into it. Um, If you haven't been able to tell from the title and the description and all that, the number one most important Blue Jay of 2020 was Nate Pearson. And I know, going through everything I've said during this countdown... It feels a little weird to give that title to a guy with a 6 ERA during the season. He only got in five start, five games, four starts for the Blue Jays, who had a whip of 1.5 and a fielding independent pitching of 7.19. But yes, he is the most important Blue Jay of 2020. And I'm going to go over my reasons. I'm going to tell y'all why. First of all, he was the hype machine. He was the big ticket for 2020. He was the next one to come up through the system. So, getting a look at him, even in this... This absolutely abnormal kind of year was going to be crucial for the Blue Jays. And, yep, they they managed to start his clock at the right time. He's still going to be a rookie next year. He's going to be in contention for that award. And he's going to hopefully have a pretty good shot at it. But, you know, the the hype train that was started... When he emerged on July 29th for that start against Washington and instantly started his career with five shutout innings. Like that, like he wasn't even really controlled, but just just watching him appear and and for that first start, completely live up to the hype look like a guy who you know 
was going to be that building block. It was beautiful. It touched me deep inside. But then, of course, you know, as rookies are wont to do, things caught up to him. His control left him. He didn't have the ability to keep batters off his fastball. And, like, he had an okay start against Atlanta, had the five innings, gave up three runs, struck out five. But then the slugfest against Miami, um, where he only lasted two and a third. I mean, if that... If that wasn't a sign that, you know, something was very wrong. Like, you know, he, he only threw 50% of his pitches for strikes in that game. Walked four batters. And and that was something we saw with Pearson in that August stretch. The inability to keep command when he needed it. And the Marlins were able to tee off on him and because those walks were on the bases those hits hurt way more than they should have and I mean granted you know Jacob Wagesback didn't help by completely failing to not strand the bases at least none of those runs were charged to him but you know, you look you look at situations like that 2-0 pitch to Brian Anderson in that at-bat that Anderson, you know, parked almost on the highway. And that that's the kind of pitch that Pearson had to learn how to avoid. How, how to not get put in those situations where batters can wait you out and, and take a lot of the guessing out of it. Because once you lose that deceptive ability, that's when batters get to tee off. That's when batters get to draw that walk. So that carried over into his next start against Baltimore on August 18th, where he lasted four innings, gave up five runs, but more, more troublingly, three home runs against the Orioles. Two of them against Anthony Santander, which, I mean, yeah, he's he's a streaky hitter, but if he gets a hold of something. And then Chance Sisko in the fifth to chase Pearson from the game. It just, you know, it, it was a bit worrying that he consistently put himself in trouble like that, especially against the top of the lineup. Um, you know, the, the first Santander home run was a walk. And a home run. So the lack of control there, losing Chancisco, the first batter of that game, immediately set up Santander in a situation that was relatively favorable for him. A 2-2 pitch that he was able to just just knock out along the line. And Santander was clearly honed in on Pearson's put-away pitch. I mean, it was a 1-2 count in the third, too. And then, again, walking walking the number nine batter in Andrew Velasquez and then allowing Cisco to get up in that 2-2 situation again, probably getting tips from Santander, 
and just just end it. And that was the troubling thing. It looked like a combination of something not being right with him and just him not being able to make the adjustments necessary at the big league level. And it was later bore out that he he was injured. Um, he did go on the IL for about a month uh, with the injury after that. Um, so, I mean, it was very inauspicious seeing what Nate looked like at that point and wondering, you know, what is is this really going to be the guy? Or is this going to be another indication of, you know, a guy who, who looks like he has it but can't stay on the mound long enough to be able to put it all together? And that's that's a very scary thought for Blue Jays fans, given some of the names that have filtered through that have been unable to do so. You know, we think about Jesse Litch and... and Ricky Romero, um, Dustin McGowan, Sean Markham, just just guys who who were supposed to be that person and couldn't do it. And I mean the fact that it was an elbow issue too, that that you know, all kinds of warning signs, especially since, you know, he's already had significant work done on that arm. So, he needed something at the end of 2020 just to, to kind of shake that thought. And when he emerged to face that Baltimore team again on September 25th, in his last regular season appearance, he looked a lot more comfortable than, you know, he did in previous starts. Um, like, he... He worked an inning and two-thirds, faced seven batters, gave up one walk and one hit. But, you know, he was getting the soft contact, the soft ground outs that he needs to be able to avoid racking up the pitch count very quickly. And probably the sweetest moment of that was his last batter when, you know, Chance Sisko comes up again with that 2-2 two, two count, and this time Pearson sat him down. That's the sign of the adjustment he needs to make. That's the sign that, you know, he is able to make those changes that are going to help him sustain his ability to pitch at the major league level. Um, and, of course, the playoff appearance against the Rays. Oh, my God. The playoff appearance against the Rays. I mean, two innings five strikeouts and a tapper back to the mound from Kevin Kiermaier. The lone blemish. But, you know, for for a team that had been victimized by Manuel Margot and Hunter Renfro and Mike Zunino, Pearson stared them all down and sent them back to the dugout with nothing to show for it. And that, in that kind of situation, yeah, it was 8-2 for Tampa Bay. Game had been over for, you know, three innings. But 
coming in in that situation where, you know, it would have been very easy to slip back into old habits and just let things get away from him. Pearson went out there and reminded everyone of what was to come. Those two innings spread out over a starting pitcher's length and maybe giving the Blue Jays a better shot to win in future series. Now, will he be able to do that next year? That's going to be the big question. And, you know, one thing I haven't had to question is what I'm going to have for snacks. Because I have Bilt Bars, and Bilt Bars are here, and they're great, and they're delicious. And they have a bunch of amazing flavors like caramel brownie, and carrot cake, and raspberry, and mint brownie. And I need to stop listing them because I'm going to get hungry, and I want pizza. So... Just just trust me on that. All of those flavors are coated in 100% chocolate. They're soft. They're easy to chew. They melt in your mouth. And they're great if you're trying to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Or you just don't want to eat a bunch of stuff before you get pizza. Whatever. I'm not perfect. Anyway, they're low calorie. They're low sugar. They're high in protein and fiber. And if you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. So use the promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily Toronto Blue Jays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Okay. So I know y'all are going to say, well, it sounds like you're making Nate Pearson the most important Blue Jay for 2021. Well, I can't actually say that yet because we don't know all the Blue Jays who are going to be here for the start of the 2021 campaign. I'm hoping to have another couple names to throw on there so that maybe, you know, it's a little more interesting. But... Yeah, Nate Pearson's going to be incredibly important. He now has that taste of MLB action. So what he needs to do is be able to go out there, take the adjustments he made late. And and yeah, it's a little easier to pitch in that relief situation. I mean, we've seen Aaron Sanchez do it before. But he needs to be able to take those adjustments and stretch them out. And, you know, he admitted... During the course of the season, he was, you know, starting to fool around with things too much in his starts when he started struggling. And I totally understand that. I mean, anytime I get on a losing streak in Pokemon Go, I like totally change my team and it just ends up worse. Because then all of a sudden I've lost my counts. So it can it can disrupt your concentration to try and make those changes and then adjust to that playing style while... You know, the hitters on the other side still have their their approach and are still ready to go. So I totally understand that. But he also has the tools to be able to, you know, maintain that level of confidence in himself and be able to throw those pitches whenever he needs to and and have them be effective. I mean... He was primarily a fastball slider pitcher last year. And, I mean, he's got a really good fastball. Uh, Fangrass had the average velocity last year at 96.6, which is actually below what we know from him. 
But once he starts expanding his arsenal a bit, working that curveball, working that changeup in there, and, I mean, an 88-mile-an-hour changeup is still pretty deadly when you pair it with a 97 fastball. But when you throw that fastball 50% of the time, a lot of hitters are going to start sitting. And that's something that maybe he is taking into consideration for this season, is working those breaking pitches in a bit more, working that off-speed stuff in a little bit more. Because, you know, if you're going fastball slider, you have to hone in on the fastball slider for it to be really effective. Look at Ken Giles. Look at Jordan Romano. Pearson has the arsenal to spread it out. It's why he's a starter. And... You know, that slider wasn't doing a lot for him. It was his worst pitch, according to Fangrass. It was uh, almost two runs below the average uh, effective slider. I mean, just uh, just for comparison, Jordan Romano's slider last year was 1.1 runs above average for the average slider. But that's because players started to hone in on it, but... You know, it doesn't have to be a world-beating slider. It doesn't have to be Romano's kind of wipeout slider. It just has to be, you know, something that's not on the forefront. Like, batters can't just be, oh, if it's not a fastball, it's a slider. So that's probably what I need to see from Pearson more in 2021, is the ability to work his pitches in more variants, in more sequence, just so batters can't sit on that particular flight plane. Because, I mean, if you make it a toss-up, half the time they're going to get it right. So you need to start bending the odds more in your favor and, you know, making it so it, it's not that coin flip. It, it That it's, you know, like the fortune teller thing that you make in high school with the with the four corners. He has the tools to do that. That's what he needs to do in 2021. And maybe then the Jays will have the bullets to go after some people. And they wouldn't even have to sign, you know, Corey Kluber to hope that they can get something out of him. Or, you know, trade for Joe Musgrove, which, I mean, the Pirates seem dead set on Alejandro Kirk. And I have no desire to see Alejandro Kirk go to Pittsburgh. They can have Reese McGuire back. Or, or they can get... Riley Adams or Gabe Moreno. Not not Kirk. Not our large adult son. So anyway, that's going to end the countdown of the top five most important Blue Jays of 2020. Thank y'all for sticking with it. Um, if you missed any of the other episodes, which, I mean, I guess that's possible, um, feel free to go to your podcast provider, be it Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. You can find the Locked On Blue Jays archive there and see all the episodes, all six of them. And you can give them a listen and then subscribe to make sure you don't make that mistake in the future and actually get to listen to them again in the right order. Um, you can... Follow the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at LockedOnJays. Um, the links will be posted on Twitter once Spotify updates. And you can follow me on Twitter at A underscore J underscore Andrews. The underscores are there because Twitter is so dumb. But it's perfectly emblematic of the year we just went through. And that's going to do it. I um, I hope my first episode 
uh, of 2021 will involve, you know, me talking about maybe George Springer signing or, you know, maybe maybe a trade for some starting pitching help. Maybe a DJ LeMahieu signing. Who knows? Let's just hope it's something instead of me just, like, speculating, like, you know... <laughs> Like I said, I don't want to do the Corey Kluber episode, but I may have to. So we'll see. There are other ones I can do, but um, yeah, that's going to be it. So I hope wherever you are this evening and whoever you are with, be it people in your home or people online, you know, Zoom partying, I hope you enjoy your evening. I hope you're able to give this year the send-off that it deserves whatever you feel it deserves. And hopefully we'll be able to keep talking next year. And, you know, maybe this time around in 2021-2022, we'll be back at the point where, you know, we can give those hugs and give those kisses and just have some some semblance of happy again. That's my wish for 2021. A semblance of happy. Seems to have gone by the wayside this year. Hopefully we can pull it back. Anyway, did not mean to end on that kind of sober note, but whatever. We'll, we'll wish for better things in the new year. So for everyone at the Locked On Podcast Network and everyone at chaserinacouch.com, I'm AJ Andrews. Thank you all so much for listening to the last of these 2020 episodes. We'll see you in the new year. And y'all take care.